0: thank you for listening to knocking doors down brought to you by KDD media company
1: you know but I grew up in a house that suffered from alcoholism my father still suffers from it um you know my father unintentionally passed this you know trait down to us um but you know it's something that you know I wish that I understood when I was younger I wish I wish you know when you walked into school you had someone to discuss wellness and and genetics and you know alcoholism and what could possibly be because I think you know when it comes to alcohol and drugs we we oftentimes talk about the worst day and not the first day you know we talk about what it looks like in the end rather than why it's beginning
0: Chris Herron, our guest on this episode of Knocking Doors Down. Former NBA basketball player, as well as a standout at Fresno State, part of the Bulldogs. And, of course, you probably saw him featured on ESPN's Unguarded, an episode of 30 for 30. We dig into his story of addiction, how he overcame it, and the amazing work he's doing now with the Chris Herron Project. We've got all that, plus some fun random questions with Chris This is an insightful and great podcast with him. He's a wonderful guy. We hope you guys enjoy it. But uh, before that, there's a few words from our sponsors. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O co. And be sure to add the Knockin' Doors Down podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo
2: section of the application. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs Boxing Program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out org. This episode of Knocking Doors Down is brought to you by
0: Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com and use the code KDD. Inside the 5150 studios, this is Knockin' Doors Down, a podcast all about hope belief and overcoming adversity our guest chris heron fell deeply into addiction comes from a background of addiction as well but doing amazing positive things in the world and that's what we're all about your host jason here with you i come from a background of alcoholism and some other adversities but turning all that into positivity talking to our amazing guests and my co-host mikey naraki no different what's going on everybody mikey's been busted a time or two yeah what are you gonna do Chris Heron, Mikey, just an awesome guy. This is a total blast and a pleasure, not only really insightful. I mean, you hear some crazy stories of how far addiction can go uh, being in some foreign countries, including we talk about how when he was playing professionally in Iran, there the penalty of uh, not only dealing drugs but buying was death at the time. So some serious ramifications as to how far the de- uh, the depths of addiction can go uh,
3: despite the consequences addiction don't matter, man. If you want your fix, you're going to get it despite whatever the consequences are. And it's crazy to hear it, but it's true. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Chris has some really interesting insight. Uh, Talking about the term rock bottom, how he doesn't like that. Also, we get a little bit more into his biography, Basketball Junkie. Why would he want to change the title? And so much more. Of course, Mikey, though, we can't do any of this without 5150LTM. That's right. Get yourself swagged out. But how did they get a discount, Jason? Well, that's pretty simple. Click the link in the podcast description for 5150ltm.com. That's all the swag you see Mikey and I wear on social media and on the YouTube channel. Just use the code KDD20 and you get 20% off at checkout. What's the code? KDD20. That's 2-0 at checkout. Sick welcoming to knocking doors down chris heron how are you good sir
1: i'm great man thanks for having me
0: absolutely uh how's everything going in uh, massachusetts right now
1: massachusetts is good the weather's starting to heat up a little bit you know i'm currently at my wellness center so i have around 30 people who are guests here who live here um you know all all trying to live one day at a time and uh and they're all outside enjoying the weather.
0: That's awesome. Well, before we kind of jump into some of, uh, you know, your backstory and how you fell into addiction, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, Heron Project and uh, Heron Wellness.
1: So Heron Project is just something that, you know, I started 10 years ago. Um, You know, if it wasn't for people extending a hand, um, giving me an opportunity, um, you know, I – I don't know where I'd be, um, you know, if it wasn't for that initial kind of push into um, into recovery, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking with you today. So uh, it's something that I wanted to be part of. I wanted to be part of people's story. I wanted the opportunity to uh, to give back and, and, and do the service work that's required. And Heron Project was, was um was formed and and you know over the last 10 years i think we've helped place over 5000 people into treatment um you know we have a prevention side to the to the foundation we have clinicians um that work for the foundation we have 27 i believe family online support groups a week um you know so we uh you know it's inclusive uh, of everyone in recovery not just the person struggling but the people that love them yeah and and the kids who wanna who wanna uh uh stay away from it yeah that's such
0: an important element that people often forget you know of course we have to focus on the addict themselves but the impact and the trauma that it can cause on the the family let alone when the individual returns to the family uh you know the dynamic changes drastically
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. And that's why, you know, at Heron Wellness, for us, um, you know, for me, I wanted, uh, when I first opened, um, you know, part of this was that the family had to play a big part of it. Um, You know, so it's not just drop them off at the door and pick them up in 30 days. It's, you know, come back next Saturday and spend time and, you know, let's sit down in family, family support groups and let's do... Family meetings together, um, grow together, heal together, cry together, um, you know, just create separate paths that are parallel to one another, Um, you know, so when the the connection uh, is reestablished, everybody's healthier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because well, you have to reestablish so much trust that, that that goes because and I'm sure, you know, your loved ones went through it. I know mine did with the well, Now this is the last time I'm getting sober this time. And we mean it. But, you know, that power of addiction pulls on you and, you know, it's like yeah. shit goes out the window.
1: And it requires, you know, it requires a lot of work, you know, it requires, you know, honesty, transparency, commitment, willingness um, you know and the, the ability not to break from you know routine, right I mean I uh, you know the meetings and and, and and the 12 steps, I mean that's a, that, that, that is my recovery. So um, you know I have to show up, I have to clean my seat. I have to you know make the coffee, I'll pass out mm-hmm. some chips um, fold up the chairs, set up the chairs. Um, you know, it's all part of the process. Um, you know, I I go to a meeting with an old timer who just says, you know, we're all pebbles on this beach and, you know, we are, um, you know, nobody's, uh, more important. Um, you know, nobody's less than, um, it's a very inclusive, uh, beautiful, uh, collection of, of personalities. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so, It's uh, it's my greatest accomplishment. And I'm just, you know, I'm just proud to be um, in a position today where I can, you know, I can kind of witness the miracle on a daily basis.
3: Now, Chris, I had a question, too. You had said that, you know, it's not just drop them off, come back in 30 days type thing. But I'm sure that that may sometime occur, correct?
1: Well, sometimes it has to occur, right? Sometimes the, the family that's dropping them off isn't the best resource sure or or they don't have the healthiest relationship so um you know that's all 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 of that is kind of vetted Mm -hmm. right and and we find out who's gonna be you know um an integral part of their recovery Mm -hmm. um yeah but you know some family members you know it's just not the time for them to to reconnect it's not the time for them to stop the healing process along with them um and and you know, there's other family members also that that we've encountered that have no interest right. um, in taking part in it. Uh, you know, but for me, you know, success comes the you know, the addiction breaks everybody's heart who loves you. Sure. Um, you know, so why not? Why not experience the beauty of 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 putting the heart, the pieces back together and, and, and living that life in recovery.
3: No, I totally get that. And the reason I asked that is because that was kind of the situation for me when I was in a rehab in San Diego, I flew by myself and then went there by myself and I, my family didn't visit, nor did I want them to. However, they were and are extremely supportive, but they didn't, they wanted me to get the whole rehab experience without having any distractions of seeing them and being like, get me the fuck out of here kind (laughs) of thing. You know what I mean? So they were just like, you do the rehab thing. And which was fine because I didn't want them to come. I was just like, "I, I don't want any distractions. I love you guys to death. I'll see you in 30 days. I, and I get the whole, you know, breaking their hearts because you know, what broke my heart the most was my mom told me that, you know, when I was pregnant with you, I did everything in my power to keep you as healthy as I possibly could. And to see you do this is breaking my heart. And I'm such a mama's boy. I didn't even <laughs> need rehab at that point. I needed her to just tell me that. And that was enough <laughs> yeah. to get me to stop. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's why I ask if it's, you know, any more or less productive, if family is present during the rehab process, because mine wasn't present during the rehab process, but there was still very, you know, <laughs> supportive. But that's why I was just curious.
1: Well, you know, I think I think it also matters. You know, there's there's multiple variables, right? I mean, are there family members that you live with that you're going to move back into the house with? Um. You know, so so the the, the ability to kind of download, process, and discuss some of the things that you're going to be encountering when you move back into the home with your husband, your wife, your children, um, and what it's going to look like, I think is 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 strategic, right? right. I think. You know, as a former athlete, you know, I think oftentimes, you know, um, you know, sometimes life requires a scouting report Mm -hmm. um, and and the due diligence of, you know, what possibly could be and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, where are the where are the, you know, the slippery spots. Um, So. You know, I, I think there's there's some people that walk into this and, and it's absolutely necessary for them to meet with their family. And I think there's some people that, you know, just need to do it on their own.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah Cause, I got you.
0: Because, yeah, the family environment could be the worst place because maybe it's a family that uses together and the one person trying to get sober. And we know the success rate of sending someone back into a home with what people are still actively using at zero yeah. percent. You know, right.
1: And that's all. And, and I, I use the word vetted very carefully. Right. I mean, mm. it's it's, you know, all of that is disclosed and disclosure um, through our life coaches, through the therapist here um, in their first, you know, initial meetings with the guest. Um, we also send emails to all the family members that that um, to get some background. So we, you know, Pretty quickly, within 72 hours, we have, you know, an understanding of um, what's healthy and what's not healthy and who's going to be receptive and who we should not uh, currently engage with about the recovery process. Right. Absolutely.
0: Well, let's uh, jump back to to young Chris. What were you like as a kid, man? Uh, You know, where did the love of basketball start? What was not only home life, but uh, community life like for you?
1: Um. You know, the love of basketball was forced. Um, you know, I grew up in a very competitive family, a family that was very successful in athletics. Um, you know, I was in the shadow of a brother who was very, very successful um, in high school in basketball. Um, so it was just kind of innately put, I mean, it's it just the basketball ended up in my hand. Um, mm. And I discovered uh, that I was pretty good at it. And I was passionate for it and I loved, I loved competing. So, um, you know, that was the young, the younger years, Um, you know, but I grew up in a house that suffered from alcoholism. My father still suffers from it. Um, You know, my father unintentionally passed this, you know, trait down to us. Um, But, you know, it's something that, you know, I wish that I understood when I was younger. I wish, I wish, you know, when you walked into school, you had someone to discuss wellness and, and genetics and, you know, alcoholism and what could possibly be. Because I think, you know, when it comes to alcohol and drugs, we, we oftentimes talk about the worst day and not the first day. Right. You know, we talk about what it looks like in the end rather than why it's beginning. And, you know, there were multiple whys, in my beginning, the pressure of sports—you um, know, not not having the ability to kind of un- unload and 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 talk openly about some of the anxiety and pressure that I was encountering um, because of athletics, because of basketball, um, and the you know the the constant unknown about whether or not my parents' marriage is going to make it through or my father's alcoholism will ever, ever end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, inevitably, my parents' marriage didn't make it through and my father's alcoholism hasn't ended. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like the snapshot of my childhood. Um, you know, the, the passion for basketball probably left me in high school. Um, I just I was just really good at it. And i liked like to compete but the game of basketball is not something i loved i love the culture of it i love performing it and playing in front of people um but i definitely wasn't a guy who like you know went to bed at night thinking about it mm-hmm. Boy, your
0: story and mine very parallel because you know my dad fortunately he found recovery almost 20 years now but Boy, I was thinking about he he even, you know, when you were talking about the, the treatment and, you know, the whole family thing, he was at the Betty Ford Clinic. And I'm thinking the only thing I got out of that was I met Anna Nicole Smith. She was there at the same time. But there wasn't any of that education. I don't remember ever getting any of it. And then ironically, trying to figure it out, think I, you know, through traumas and other stuff, fell into the addiction myself. Uh, You know, but I can relate to that. Hey, I like playing basketball. It kept me out of trouble and with my friends. But I definitely didn't have a have a deep love for it where, you know, I I enjoyed the crowd. I enjoyed hitting a three point shot in the cheers. But after that, I was like, meh,
1: yeah, let's get out of here. (laughs) Um, But no, and that's kind of the mentality I had. Right. I mean, I I was I was a madman and somebody should have grabbed me and said, why are you like this? You know, there's gotta be an underlying cause for you to to play the game this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but but back then, you know, substance use, mental health, it was it was the secret. It was you know, and and nobody talked about it. Nobody disclosed it. Um, you know, and and we felt that we you know we had to keep it for for ourselves and our family um, and. You know, that's, you know, some some of the stuff I do today, you know, like my goal is that, you know, one day wellness will be a core class in our school system. I think it's embarrassing that in the United States in 2021, that wellness is not a core class.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, That we put so little emphasis and attention around the topic, Um, the coping skills, you know, the emotional and social wellness and growth that we can. Um, educate our kids around the the mindfulness and the meditation, all the holistic practices that we could provide our children that, that would be sustainable later in life, Um, you know, to to advantageous to a, to a, to a healthy life. Um, But we just, we just don't do it. We, 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 we react to it. And, and oftentimes sadly it's, it's too late.
0: Yeah. Education is prevention.
1: Totally, and and we do so little around it. It's 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 really sad. I mean, when you think about it, I speak at schools. So I was just out of school last week. There were eight hundred students and one guidance counselor. You know, that's how much attention we're putting on the guidance of our children. That that eight hundred are on the plate of one guidance counselor. Um, you no, know, that's that's very little attention. You know, um, there's more athletic coaches in a school uh, than there are therapists or counselors. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I saw it working in this school uh, system for five years. So I know I know what you're talking about. Um, Mm. So so let's jump to uh, kind of the college career course at Boston College and then eventually transferring to Fresno State. Uh, how active was, was substance abuse at this point? I mean, you had some of the f- the failed tests, which, if I'm correct, subsequently led you to playing for Tark and kind of, quote-unquote, getting that second chance.
1: I mean, listen, I, I, just, I just talked about this. Um, you know, at 18 years old, I was made well aware that I had a drug problem. Um, because at 18 years old, I stepped on that campus of Boston College, and they told me, in order for me to be a Division One scholarship athlete, I am required and held to a high standard where I had to be drug tested. Um, and I couldn't stop. Mm. Uh, so I knew at 18 years old, like this is bigger than I thought. Um, it's going to require more attention than I thought. So, you know, after failing multiple drug tests there and testing positive for cocaine a few times, I, uh, I took some time off and, You know, I was publicly humiliated and labeled kind of a loser. Um, But coach talk reached out to me and said, you know, that he was a fan of second chances. And at 19 years old, depressed on my mother's couch, who just got done going through a divorce with my father, you know, I wanted out. Mm. So, you know, I I jumped on a plane and and flew to a place I never heard of before. you know and and i thank god for that right Fresno the four years i was there three years that i competed there are are the years that i truly recognize as as my career um you know if you if you walk into my house there is no celtics um memorabilia there's no celtics sweatshirts there's no Denver nuggets um it's Fresno state yeah you know Fresno Fresno State is the is the gear that's in my home and it's and it's the one thing in my career um that I'm proud of. Well,
0: how did you navigate that? Because that team, you know, Tark of course known for second chances, but you had uh, you know, Alston, Alexander, and Jones all on that team, which that was some well documented shit as well. Uh you know, how are yeah, you but, handling that situation?
1: Handling, it. they couldn't handle me. <laughs> <laughs> those dudes on the way I get down. um you know, like I, there were a couple of guys on that team that liked to stay close to me because they know what the night ended up like. Um, you know, but not many. um you know, I went at that hard, man i I, I you know, I would end up in salma and Tulare, and you know, I would end up in places that i you know, in barns, on farms that are. You know, like a speakeasy and after hours joint, Um, you know, and so a lot of the guys I played with, although they had some behavioral stuff and they got into some trouble, they weren't going down kind of the road I was going down.
3: Mm
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it, it's well documented. Of course, there's the, the documentary on it for for people to want more, um, you know, basketball junkie, which is which is great as well as unguarded or the memoir, basketball junkie, and then the unguarded, the ESPN documentary. So you know, we finish up at Fresno State, get drafted by by Denver, uh, eventually uh-huh. end up in Boston. How active? is your addiction during the NBA season? Cause we, we spoke with Lamar Odom and he talked about, well, you know, I knew during the regular season, nothing, but man, once off season was here, you know, the cocaine came out, the booze, everything.
1: I didn't have that ability. Um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have the ability. I wasn't wired, um, to shelve it. Um, you know, it, it was it was it didn't matter whether it was in season, off season, no season. Um, I was struggling, uh, you know, to be playing in the NBA and taking 1600 milligrams of oxys a day. Oh shit! Um, you know, it's a tough life uh, and it's tough to manage. It's tough to be, you know, a professional athlete um, for a couple hours a day and and, and to be severely sick. 22 hours. Um, so, uh, no, I can't, I can't come on here and tell you that, you know, I was better in season than I was off season. Um, if anything, I was probably worse in season because I had a paycheck coming in. Um, and I was able to generate some money, uh, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and quickly spend it all.
0: Yeah. We recently spoke with the gentleman who played in the NFL for 10 years at your time. And he was saying in his time in the NFL, they literally had a like medicine locker that that everyone knew the combination was what the three offensive linemen or something it it was their jersey numbers or something. What how was like substances like that managed during your time? Um, Because, man, taking that many oxy, it's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, no, football is a different animal, right? Um, I think in order to compete at such a high level, there's going to be moments where you have to um, manage some of your injuries with painkillers. Um, it wasn't It wasn't like that for me. It wasn't like that at Fresno. It wasn't like that with the Celtics, the Nuggets, or any professional team I played for. Um, I was, you know, the pills were not accessible. I was introduced to Oxys in 99. And unfortunately, I... Uh, I liked when it hit my, you know, hit hit me in the head. I liked when it dropped into my gut. Yeah. You know, some people, you know, some people don't like the feeling. My wife, you know, she can have surgery and she'll want Tylenol. Um, she's not going to want Percocets. Um, you know, for me, I, I, like, I like the feeling of painkillers. Uh, you know, the first painkiller I took, I was probably in ninth grade um, and I loved it. Holy and I geez. loved what it did to me. I loved how it how it made me feel. So the power of OxyContin and and, and um, immediately took hold uh, of me. And you know, spending 20, $25,000 a month and taking sixteen hundred milligrams a day, um, you know, shit. was extremely difficult. Uh, but you know, my MBA career didn't last long because of it. I ran away from it. Um, jumped on a plane, moved to Italy, uh, played at a very high level over there, played, my contract was bigger in Italy than it was in the NBA. Um, but I was introduced to heroin in Italy. Um, you know, and, and and you know, my heroin addiction then went on for another seven years.
3: How did that come about? Like you just needed a bigger high or that was all that was available or how, how, how was heroin yeah. introduced?
1: I go, right, like... It, it just, it wasn't around. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm in Italy. There's, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to say Oxycontin in Italian. <laughs> Oxycontin. You know I mean? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey. I, 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 but, but you know, as I've learned over the years, um, you know, the, the substance use drug addiction is it's a universal language. I think, you know, immediately suffering is seen in each other's eyes and you know, my eye contact with him spoke to him. Um, he jumped in my car. I pointed to my veins. He nodded himself. You know, he nodded yes. Oh, yeah. You know, pulled out some some heroin and, and you know, and that was it. Um, you know, the feeling that heroin gave me, I didn't want to go back to Oxys. And, you know, eventually I started shooting it. And, uh, you know. It's 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 an ugly, ugly, difficult world to live in
3: prior to Italy. Have you ever had you had done heroin before?
1: No, not that I can recall. I might have, you know, some, uh, you know, I look back, I reflect back and there might have been a time where a guy who I was dealing with was like, hey, listen, I don't have any 80s, but I got a couple of bags. You can snort it sure that that for some reason. Sticks with me. Um, So I might have, but the heroin began, you know, the introduction to it um, began in Italy. Right. How much
0: longer did you play over in Europe? Was Italy your last team?
1: No, I went from Italy to Turkey, from Turkey to Poland Poland to beijing beijing to nanjing nanjing to tehran iran
0: was my last so you mentioned in two countries that definitely stand out to me turkey and iran because how how did you with the substance abuse there because i would think in those countries you're talking about something
1: totally yeah turkey turkey was much easier um China was difficult until I got my, you know, until I found my bearings. Um, they're all difficult initially, um, you know, because a, I'm a professional athlete and and I don't look like it, right? I don't look the part. So people immediately are like, oh, you know, I'm not messing with you. Um, but, you know, once you get to know the language a little bit and, and you're introduced to some of the community members and. You know, you find the people that are suffering just like you. um, You know, it's possible to do it. I did it in every country. Iran was the most difficult because, you know, it carried a death sentence, um, you know, for the person selling it and sometimes for the person doing it. So uh, my guy in Iran would come only between the hours of two and like four in the morning. So that was the drop off times. Um, He would pull his car over, throw it up to my window. I'd catch it. If I didn't catch it, it was up to me to run down there and get it um, because he was out.
0: More with Chris Heron coming up for you on Knocking Doors Down. He explains why he doesn't like the term rock bottom, why he wished he changed the title of his autobiography, Basketball Junkie, to something else. We discuss Unguarded, the 30 for 30 documentary based on Chris Heron's life, plus... Those random questions. And quite surprisingly, if he was on a deserted island, what music artist would Chris take with him? Well, it might just surprise you. Stick around for all that. We'll be right back. Breaking news, this important PSA is brought to
3: you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago,
0: and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join
3: over 2 million worldwide who trusted Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0 and I'm blown
0: away by the performance, the craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are
3: next level. What makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers you may ask? a new multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock created for the people who like to travel. The Lawn Mower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4K
0: LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave.
3: The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes one through four. And look wise, it's sleek with a two-tone matte
0: and gloss finish even features a hot foil stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KDD at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code KDD. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. This episode of the Knockin' Doors Down podcast brought to you by Podcorn. Yeah, if you're a podcaster and you've yet to hear about Podcorn, it's been phenomenal for us. It allows us to reach out to sponsors that directly correlate with our show's content. Plus, we can to set our own prices and negotiate with the sponsors themselves. It opens up an amazing opportunity for podcasters just like you and us. Not only does it give you sponsorship opportunities such as host read ads but you can also book interview segments topical discussions and more you want to know what my favorite part is though there's no middleman I don't have to go through another company when we want to talk to a sponsor we talk to the sponsors directly and so can you by signing up with Podcorn it's simple podcorn.com to get more info so if you're like us and you're a podcaster and you want to cut out the middleman no matter how big your podcast is, there are tons of opportunities for great sponsors. Again, collaborate with these brands directly without any exclusivities. Another one of the great things, no matter how big or small your podcast is, you don't give up any rights to your podcast. And Podcorn, well, they're there to support you every step. They want to ensure that you're protected and compensated for the work you do for your brands. Fellow podcasters, with Podcorn, keep this in mind. Wherever you distribute your show, if it's Apple, spotify google pandora wherever you distribute it your ads play there and you get credit with podcorn and the sponsors that work with you a huge thanks to podcorn for sponsoring this episode of knocking doors down explore sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast today by signing up at podcorn.com podcasters again if you want that link click it in the podcast description now yeah, and as how are you managing? Because, you know, you mentioned these countries and having traveled abroad in Europe, <laughs> they're so incredibly different culturally, especially when you're, you know, going to Turkey and, like you said, Iran. And, and you know, uh, how are you even managing that, let alone a kid from Boston, you know, coming into these situations? Because it, it sounds to me like your first major travel was going from Boston to moving to Fresno.
1: Oh, that was by far my first major travel. When I got married, I listen, I live in Massachusetts. When I first got married, my wife and I jumped in the car after the, the post-wedding reception and our honeymoon was going to be um, in Cape Cod. And we, I looked at my wife and I, I had no idea where Cape Cod was, um, you know, and, and it's a famous, you know, destination for people from all over the world to vacation in the summer. I lived 50 miles from it and I didn't know which direction I should go. Um, So, yeah, Fresno was my first major travel. Um, You know, but again, like it's I didn't last long in a lot of these countries. I did Beijing for like five months. I did for like three. Um, I was in Turkey for probably six. Um, You know, Italy, I was there for a month. Um, Poland, I didn't last long at all. I ran. I was there for two months, three months. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so so the addiction trying to manage it initially you manage it and to 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 the best of your ability. But then people get to know you and they get to watch you on on a on a um, on a regular basis and they start to see the change in personality, you know, not showing up word gets back that you know i'm doing things at night that i shouldn't be doing so you know eventually my story catches up to the to the to the front office to the to the powers that be and and you know um eventually dismissed or asked to leave the country Right.
3: Were you ever nervous about going to a different country in fear that you wouldn't be able to find your next fix? Like, I don't know if I want to go. I don't know anybody there. I don't have any connects there. Did that ever cross your mind?
1: No, I'll always find it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I. it's a universal thing, man. There's people that suffer from it everywhere. Um, you know, and, and it's like, you know, it's close by most bus stations, most train stations. Um, you know, we know where to go. Yeah. And, and, you know, once you've suffered the way we've suffered, um, you know how to find it. And sadly. Uh, so, no, there wasn't a country that I really thought that I wanted. I never I never went with it. Only o- I only brought it with me to Italy. Um, you know, so all those other countries, I packed my bags with nothing inside of them and 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 with the intention on figuring out when I landed.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, us, uh, us addicts are a resourceful son of a guns. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's our superpower, really, which, you know, if, once you get into recovery, it's amazing what you can accomplish.
3: It's oh, just, of course. I just I don't I just look at it like, yeah, you could find it. But weren't you ever worried about like, OK, this person might have it, but he might be a narc. Perfect example. I was out of the country one time and I was bombarded because I look like a tourist when I, in the country mm. that I was in and I was bombarded. You want Coke? You got weed? Blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, I don't know who he is, obviously, but he could be a cop. Like, did that ever, like, this guy's a narc or the narc is right behind him. So as soon as I give him the money, they're going to take me out. So, like, yeah, finding it is whatever. For, like, if you're a heroin addict, that'd be much worse. Cocaine, yeah, but, like, obviously booze and stuff, that's everywhere. You could buy that at any little convenience store. But, like, certain drugs, I would just be in the back of my mind, like, is this dude a fucking cop? Like, did he see me on TV? Do they know who I am? They know I'm getting paid for what I do. Are they targeting me? Like, that would just mm-hmm. be on my mind. That's kind of more what I was getting at.
1: I mean, you know, for me, I, I didn't... I was too sick, right?
3: Yeah, you didn't really... Fa- yeah, I get that. It didn't factor in.
1: So, I got a funny... I mean, funny story today. I had some oxy shipped to me in Turkey. hmm And I get a phone call from my basketball coach that there's a package that I have to bring two forms of identification down to a parcel delivery service in Istanbul. Mm -hmm. So I immediately know that I got about 3000, $5,000 worth of oxys in that package. And, but the fact that they didn't deliver it and they want me to come get it and sign for it. I was like, Oh man.
3: Oh yeah. Red flag. So I'm (laughs) I'm,
1: I'm looking at my wife and I'm looking at, at my two children and I jump in the car and I drive and, and I sit outside that, that little Depot for about 20 minutes and then I go in and they ask me for my identification. The guy walks in the back and he comes around the corner and the box has been completely opened. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, it's over, Mm. you know, Istanbul, Turkey, life is over. Um, I'm getting locked up. It's midnight express, you know, um, and long story short, he hands me the package and I sign for it. I walk out and uh, somebody in the United States who knew my story and knew who I was opened that package and they wrote a note on how disappointed they were
3: huh.
1: and that I need to get my shit together. Um, and I saw all the imprints of the Oxy 80s on the newspaper where he had where he had taped them. Um, but they had all been removed.
3: Um, I was just going to ask you wow.
1: that. Yeah, they'd all been removed. So, um, and I remember being so devastated that the oxy's were removed, mm-hmm. and not concerned about the note in the package. Um, but the lengths we go, right? Like, I knew my gut told me that something's wrong with that package. Mm-hmm. But because there was a little, little bit. Of, of, you know, what if I was willing to risk my freedom and, and get locked up in Istanbul, Turkey for it.
0: Wow. So your wife and your kids were with you are, uh, during this time?
1: So my wife and children came to Italy, Turkey, and Beijing. Um, and that was it. All the other countries, they did not come with me. Um, but Italy, they came with me right away my wife the next time said, you know, why don't you get set up first and then we'll come, which they did. Um, But the other countries, they did not, they did not come with me. Mm.
0: So how, how did she, I'm assuming she was incredibly aware of this substance that was going on. Was she subjected? I mean, was, did she struggle as well? Or is it just wife standing by you and just hoping you would get clean?
1: You know, so i hit it for a significant amount of time and um there was one day when i was in turkey and i'll never forget answering the phone and hearing her voice and i knew that it was you know that kind of the gig was up um i was hostage um to the mailman for about three years i would not leave my house until the mailman came and I was able to retrieve the mail and make sure the financial statements were not in there. Mm-hmm. And if they were in there, I would rip them up and then I would be free for the next three weeks. And I would time it you know, to the next 10 day window where I'm gonna be home every day waiting for the next financial statement. Um, but when my wife made a decision not to go to Turkey, uh, she opened the mail. And she saw that I had spent, you know, probably around $350,000 on drugs. Um, and it just broke her. Um, you know, and, and that's, that was her introduction, um, to my, how, how severe the struggle was. Um, you know, we, we do a good job at, at helping our family get sick, um, You know, we we create chaos. We throw grenades to distract them. Um, You know, we game plan around them. Um, The work and effort we put in to to convince our loved ones that we're healthy is 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 sad. Um, So I I tormented my wife. I I constantly put self-doubt constantly questioned, you know, her integrity and and her education around, you know, drug use. Um, So, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, she she wanted she wanted to see it through. And, you know, I've been married for 23 years, Um, you know, but I say to people all the time, I've been married. My wife and I have been married twice, the first nine first 10 you know is in active addiction and the last 13 have been in recovery so two two completely different men
0: right absolutely and so was that your rock bottom point where it was hey chris this is time to get help
1: gosh listen i don't like the word rock bottom okay. um i, I don't I, no i just don't I, I i think this is an illness that requires gentler softer language hmm. um I I don't, you know, there's not another illness in the world that would attach a rock and a bottom to it. Um, Good point. And and I think that's part of what's played into the stigma. Um, You know, you did an introduction to me, um, Basketball Junkie. Um, You know, it sounded like a good, good title of the book uh 12 years ago i wish i did i wish the title was different um you know i'm 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 embarrassed that i attached the word junkie um so so as far as you know the moments that that i had in my life that were critical of you know there were many moments in hindsight that i look back uh that there was a lot of reflection on what what can i do what should i do um You know, my last overdose, I was 32. You know, many things happened along the way. It was God moments, you know, for me. Um, You know, the nurse in the hospital knew my mom, and my mom had died from cancer. Um, She wanted to take the place of my mom and step in and help me. Um, You know, my brother really came to the hospital and supported me and sat with me. Um, the Mullen family, you know, sent me away to treatment. Um, but I was in treatment right for like 40 days. And my wife uh, was given birth to Drew, my youngest. Mm. And I was like, I got this, you know, and everybody at the treatment center tried to convince me not to go. And I was like, how can you guys like you really think I would do dope on the day my son was born at 40 days sober? Like, how dare you question me? And, um, I didn't take their suggestion. I jumped in the car, I went home, I witnessed it and I got high right after it. Mm. Um, you know, I put in so much hope into my, in the hearts of Christopher, Samantha and my wife, you know, daddy's coming home from treatment. Daddy's going to spend the night with you. We're going to watch movies. We're going to have a great time. Uh, we're going to meet your little brother, you know. Um, and daddy did none of that. You know, I did none of it. Um, you know, and to see the look on their faces, yeah. you know, when they saw me high. Um, and and just like the, you know, you see sadness and you know, just like today, like I see sober smiles on them. Um, you know, the guests at my wellness center. Like I, I tell them all the time, you know, you, 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 sobriety makes your eyes smile. Um, and you know, my my children didn't get that, and uh, I went back to treatment, and a guy told me that I should play dead for my family. A counselor. Huh. What did he mean by he that? He was like. So he was like, fuck it, right? He was like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to call your wife. You're going to tell your wife to tell your kids that you died in a car accident on the way back here. And then when you're done with treatment, you're going to jump in a car and you're going to go west. You're going to get as far away from your kids as possible because your wife will marry a better man and your kids will be raised by a better man. Um, Wow. Like, you need to let them go and let them live. And... I can't tell you how many nights I went to sleep thinking about my wife remarrying, my kids being raised by someone else, and and many nights saying they'd be better off. Um, but I had never heard anybody say that out loud to me. And when he said that out loud, it, it broke me. Um, You know i questioned everything i've done in my life up to that point and i went back to my room i hit my knees and i started praying and and i've been sober since um you know that was my moment that was one of many but that's the last gut check that i had um in recovery to 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 make me um do the work that was necessary
0: Yeah. yeah wow that's powerful that's really powerful so at this point, you know, it was the last last straw for you. You're going through mm-hmm. through the recovery. How long did you stay within any treatment facility? Did you do a 90-day and then just, I mean, actively work it, the meetings, everything after? Uh, you know, did, and how were how you providing for the family too?
1: I wasn't. Um, mm. 11 months. I did four months at Daytop, 90 days at uh, – the Miller house in in Cape Cod Um, and then four months in a sober house Um, you know for the first nine months I wasn't providing anything for my family Mm. but I wasn't stealing it either true you know um, you know whatever my wife made back then it 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 was it was taken Um, so it was nice for her for once to come home and be able to deposit a check and not have to look at the, the history on her phone or log into her account to see how much um, that I had taken out that day uh, or, or the checks that i bounced, right? It was the first time in a long time that um, she has some stability. And, you know, thankfully she allowed me the time that was necessary. And it was about 11 months when I came home. And, you know, for me, that's what was, was necessary. Um, I don't know what it would look like if I went home after 90 and worked it, but, um, you know, the 11 months allowed me, um, the necessary time to, to connect, to establish, you know, a work ethic around recovery, some pride. Um, and, uh, and the rest is history up to this point, God willing.
0: Yeah. Well, how do we go then from, from you know, finally coming out? Um, what kind of work did you do first do, you know, in providing for the family? And what was the antithesis then to, to do the Heron Project and Heron Wellness?
1: You know, it's interesting, right? All of my success is because of others. Um, you know, I, I came out of treatment. Uh, my childhood best friend who now runs my foundation, he was like, I want you to work part-time for me and we'll do we'll repossess vehicles. So I went out and I repossessed. But then I lost my license and I went to an AA meeting and I said, you know, I'm unemployed again. I have no means to work um, and no opportunities in front of me. And, and a guy said um, in an AA meeting, um, I am going to introduce you to a friend of mine who has a uh, school right next to your house, a private school. And I'm going to get you the keys to the gym and you're going to teach basketball. Um, So my company hoop dreams started and, you know, I, I was training at one point, you know, we, I had trained over thousands of kids. um, So became pretty successful at that. Um, But while I was training kids playing basketball, I started my foundation and, While I started my foundation, I started writing a book. Um, And when the book was released, speaking engagements started coming in. So I started doing speaking and training. Um, But the speaking engagements just became so overwhelming that I was doing 250 a year. Um, So I pulled back from training and and speaking became my full-time job. Um, But after that, I wanted more. I wanted to, you know, challenge myself in other areas. And I started this, you know, Heron and wellness, um, which is, you know, I have two. I have one in Virginia and one in Massachusetts. And it's very holistic. Um, it's long-term. It's a beautiful place to, to heal. Um, you know, 12 mm-hmm. Steps Refuge smart recovery it's all introduced here right now you know i'm sitting you know that's that's a hyperbaric chamber mm-hmm. um i'm in that room uh, because it's quiet in here mm-hmm. um you know but you know as an athlete i was i was always taught you know to get an advantage right like um you know massage therapy acupuncture cryotherapy, hyperbaric chamber yoga meditation we have all that um you know we want to give people an advantage we track sleep we follow um you know that stuff that that is exciting to us um you know i think you know you have to be somewhat data driven here in statistics and you know it's uh it's something that you know, we implement here and something we're very proud of.
0: Absolutely. That's incredible. Well, Chris, before we uh, leave you with what we like to uh, leave the guests with the final words of encouragement and inspiration, be Hmm. it for those seeking active recovery, uh, you know, or a family member that kind of needs to hear it, we like to do something fun here, some some random questions. These are just fun. Answer them off the cuffs. This is about being Listener. able to laugh and shit after we've done all the all this stuff. Because, hey, you know, we're, 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 the one thing we try to get across with this podcast is, people, there's a lot of fun in recovery. If you think all that fun and stuff ha- has gone yeah, away, yeah, yeah. you're completely 100% wrong. Plus, you'll remember this shit. Mm. So.
1: Listener.
0: All right, Mikey, you're up, brother.
3: Let's kick it off with... If you were stuck on a deserted island, what one movie and one album would you bring with you?
1: Oh, shit. (laughs) I know. Um, (laughs) So, all right, one movie, I'm soft. So, Silver Linings Playbook. Ah, that's a good mm -hmm. one. Or Hangover.
3: (laughs) I love all three (laughs) of them. All
1: three of them. Yeah. Um... One album, I would probably bring uh, Great Lionel Richie's Greatest Hits. Really? I would not have expe- expected that one.
0: I get yes. it, though. Hey, you're on the island. Let's crank up some All Night Long.
1: Yeah, Lionel Richie on an island.
0: <laughs> well, I think his Greatest Hits, if I remember, also had a lot of the Commodore shit on it, which was phenomenal. No doubt.
1: It has to be. It has to be the Commodores, too. Yeah. So that's why the Greatest Hits. It's a mix
0: i'm with you on that one um, mm-hmm. oh you already spoke about your greatest achievement all right this is a good one favorite curse word
1: motherfucker <laughs> motherfucker
3: <laughs> <laughs> the versatility right
1: yeah yeah motherfucker is my <laughs> favorite
3: <laughs> do you have any guilty pleasures and if so what are they other than lionel richie
1: yeah nicotine is is an awful you okay. know drug um
3: same
1: yeah yeah it's up. just you know yeah it's just something that uh, i've tried multiple times to quit um you know i've been dipping and smoking probably since i was 14 years old um so it's a it's a tough one it's my guilty pleasure it's 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 sadly it's something that i i struggle with immensely yeah, um same same um, yeah let's well, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> Thanks for chilling the mood. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking you were
3: going to say, like, the Golden Girls or something. That's my guilty pleasure. I love the Golden Girls.
1: (laughs) B. Arthur was
3: a shit. You took it to
1: nicotine, not me, Chris. (laughs) Uh. Hogan's Heroes might be my guilty pleasure. Hogan's Heroes. That there was
0: classic. Uh, we actually, not that long ago, we had, uh, if you like old TV, we had Butch Patrick from The Munsters on talking about his really? his addiction. He was great. Uh, but uh, cool. all right, this is a fun one, too, or interesting. We've had so many different answers for this. If you could have dinner with just one person, living or not, who would it be and why? My mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, my mother. Yeah. Um, you know she died at 51 um so i haven't had dinner with her for probably you know 15 plus years um but counting you know the years that i was active in my addiction where i was not around to even spend time with her um haven't had dinner with my mom for probably 25 years so you know, I would love to sit down with my mom. I would love to hold her hand. I would love to ask her questions. I would love, I would love as an adult to learn more about her. Um, you know, it's something that I I never got the opportunity to. So that would be that would be the one.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. All right. If they were to make a movie about you, who would you cast to play yourself? Hmm. I
1: don't know. You know, it's uh It's funny because when Ungardi came out, everybody attached me to uh Breaking Bad, that kid Jesse.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, okay, yeah.
1: Everybody attached him um but I don't know. I don't, I don't I
4: don't
1: I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't really think about it. I've had a lot of movie offers. Um, really? I just never sold it. Um never interested me. Um selling my 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 life rights away yeah um i get that you know but but there's been a lot of that you know i've met with a lot of people who want to sit down and buy my life rights and you know um i don't know you know the 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 whole mom having dinner with my mom kind of took me out of that zone
0: (laughs) yeah totally understand totally understand uh, one last one, Chris, before we leave you with the final word. Um, uh, you mentioned the Mullen family. I'm assuming you were talking about Chris Mullen? Yeah. Yeah. Because his, his – Warriors. Yeah. His uh, his story of alcoholism, uh, hopefully we speak with him someday. He was a hero of mine. Mm. I, met. I was able to meet him when I was about 13, 14, and he was just so gracious. But uh leads me to this question. Uh, greatest mentor for you? Sure.
1: Greatest mentor for me, um, probably Bill Reynolds. Um, uh, mm. I got a couple, right. My uncle Chucky, who's not my uncle who grew up with my dad. Um, you know, that's, it's, I say that all the time. He's not my uncle, but he, I call him uncle. Um, you know, Bill Reynolds, who wrote the book about me, um, four of the dreams. And then we did basketball junkie together, uh, you know, my uncle Chucky and Bill Reynolds have had to play multiple roles in my life—friend, uncle, brother, father, figure. Um, you know, those men in my life. I was very fortunate to have them. Um, you know, both of them are very sick right now. Uh, you know, Billy Reynolds, who you know is is you know, fifteen public published books. Um, you know, is suffering. Tremendously from dementia, um, uh-huh. and my uncle Chucky has has cancer. So, um, but those two men have have left a profound impact on my life. Um, you know, taught me many many um, life lessons on hard work and empathy and service work and giving back and being selfless. Um, so, the, those are those are my mentors. Um, you know, people who I look to as examples of of men um, in my life. Um, you know, but but every day when I walk into a, you know, whether it's whether it's here, Virginia, or just an AA meeting, um, you know, the old timers uh, are are the best, and the newcomers are the most important, and it's something that I never ever lose sight of.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was- remind me of my uh, my AA meeting uh, this last weekend guy 12 days in and and uh, I think it was his second meeting period and, and everybody man you're so freaking awesome he's like me and it's like yeah thank you for being here you remind us and he's like what oh. you know you could see the guy slouching and all of a sudden this presence came up you know mm-hmm. it's so so cool I, I still love that part
1: So my first AA meeting was in a trailer was in a trailer across the street from City Lights, which is a strip club in Fresno.
3: I know exactly um, what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean I've I've heard of that one
1: <laughs> That was my Yeah, that was my first AA meeting. In a trailer where people were ripping butts, had ashtrays. You know, I was like twenty one at the time, twenty. Um but yeah right across the street from City Lights, the strip club.
3: That was my first strip club. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: it wasn't
3: mine.
0: I could say it was. Yeah, fun, uh, I, I can, I can, uh, <laughs> I resemble that I, remark. I don't,
3: what was that, Chris? It, you got cut off I, I
1: had a couple of nights in City Lights, but I don't, I don't remember them.
3: Yeah. So. Same. You
0: know, that's. <laughs> yeah, last time I was there, I, I had so, was somebody tapping me, waking me up, like, "Dude, we gotta go!" And I, you know, it was blacked out. I didn't pass out, but as that blackout, yeah, yeah. I was like, "Oh Lord, okay." um, well, um <laughs> Listen, thank you so much, fellas. Yes, Chris. Uh, yeah, leave us with some final inspiration. Let's pick this back up. If you can just share a couple mm. of words of encouragement with folks, we definitely appreciate it.
1: You know, there's for me. It was. It was. I'm just truly blessed that I had a woman um, grab me by my face at three months sober in an AA meeting, an NA meeting, and say, I wanna help you, but I have to hear you. Um, that woman forced my voice out of me and gave me the courage to start talking about the struggle and 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 kind of the secrets and shame that I, kept buried in my belly um you know so finding finding one's voice is all you know oftentimes extremely scary and daunting but so there's so much freedom and power attached to that and and you know it's guys like you uh who create this platform um and this space where guys like me and us you know can kind of get together and share so uh you know the, the recovery is my greatest accomplishment, and the people in it are my uh, are my um, are the best teammates I've ever had. Um, you know we don't we don't wear uniforms, but you know we uh, and don't run through tunnels and high five on the basketball court. But but you know, one hundred percent our hearts are connected, and and you know we go above and beyond for each other. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. It was an absolute blessing to be present with you today.
0: Thank you again to Chris Heron for uh, his time joining us on Knocking Doors Down. Of course, for more on Chris, look in the podcast description, follow him on social media, find out more about the Chris Heron Project, all the amazing work that he is doing, and just just an excellent guy. You know, he's an alumnus of uh, Fresno State, was a bulldog there, where he says that's what he contributes or attributes as his basketball career that he's most proud of, and, uh, you know, us being just about an hour north of Fresno, so, pretty cool. Kind of, in a way, a local guy.
3: It's also unfortunate that he played for the wrong NBA team, too. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it all worked out for him. Uh, Denver or the Celtics. nation, baby!
0: <laughs> well, which is pretty cool, though. He did have the tie-in with Chris Mullen. He so, did. He did. You know, of course, Chris Mullen from... Uh, Warrior rough, legend. Roughly the same area as uh, as Chris Heron. So, uh, you know, that was uh, pretty cool to hear that connection for sure. Mikey. Jason. Our guest next week, Dr. Adam Hill. This is...
3: I love talking to doctors. You know me. (laughs) Uh, As so do I.
0: Uh, Adam is just an awesome person, not only do amazing work in the field of recovery, but he is a doctor working primarily with kids of various illnesses. But our first eye-opening experience of a doctor working clinically on the rate of addiction, depression, suicide, and everything else that comes into play in the medical field that sometimes people just... Aren't aware of so this is an insightful conversation and he's just so upbeat. Oh, it was a really fun guy. Yeah, uh, it was cool to talk to an Indiana boy. Uh, you know, of course, uh, somehow we seem to fall in with people when it comes to uh, basketball allegiance. He's a Pacers fan. We don't give him too much of a hard time about that, no. but uh, it was definitely a great conversation. Not only is he thriving uh, in his uh, medical field, but as a married man, father of three and so much more He's just a wonderful guy so looking forward to sharing that with everybody
3: let me clarify i like talking to doctors on the podcast I, you, know what I mean? <laughs> you know not actually going to the doctor you get what i'm saying but anyway, still a great conversation unfortunate pacers fan but what are you gonna do well i don't know anyone that likes talking to a doctor i love talking to them on here because i'm such a damn germaphobe hypochondriac all the above so i'm just like hey Uh, I can't get my doctor on the line, but you're here, so my toe hurts. Why is this? (laughs) So it works out. If Mikey was a superhero, he'd be Captain Anxiety. I'd be Captain Anxiety. Shut up, Jason.
0: (laughs) Uh, Mr. Naraki, anything else you'd like to add?
3: Yeah, you know what? There is one more. Yeah. Just kidding. I'm going home. On that note, keep knocking doors down.
2: 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the Race for Autism, Race to End the Stigma, and Race to Be Drug-Free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit carlosvierafoundation.org today. This
4: podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors